And what we're going to do this morning, which we don't normally do, we normally look at a passage of Scripture and we walk through that passage of Scripture for a certain length of time. This morning what we're actually going to do is look at four different individuals and where they were at with this heartbeat and how we can relate to that. Now, I wanted to have four P's from the Bible, four guys with P as their first name, um, but I could not find a fourth. So I cheated, and we're going to start with the Pharisee Nicodemus, that's a P, right, in John chapter 3, and then we're going to also look at Peter, Philip, and Paul. And so for anyone to have a spiritually healthy heart, for a church to be spiritually healthy, it begins with Jesus Christ and meeting Jesus. Um, now, we've gone through our current series where we've been walking through the Gospels, and one thing we've been able to see is that the Pharisee party was not exactly pro-Jesus, right? Um, I mean, they kind of put up with him, but eventually they wanted to get rid of him. And of that party, they were wanting to know who Jesus was, why he was doing what he was doing, why he was hanging out with certain people that he was hanging out with. And Nicodemus happened to be a part of that party. But there was something in Nicodemus' life that made him at least curious to know more about Jesus and the message he had in proclaiming that he was the Messiah. And so one night he goes and meets Jesus. Now we're told in John chapter 3, begin verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So John is led to describe Nicodemus, which we can kind of look over, but he wants us to know that Nicodemus was an individual who had things together in his life. I mean, if we ran into Nicodemus in Jesus' time and we knew he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, we would say, okay, this guy is close to God. This guy knows God. He knows God's word. And, and we, would, we would respect this individual, particularly if we were Jewish. We would look up to him, and, and because he was a ruler, we know that his peers looked up to him for who he was and his relationship with God and his understanding of God's word. But with all this going on, Nicodemus knew that there was something different about Jesus. He was not trained in the school of Pharisees. He did not come up in any sort of uh, educational training. He came from Galilee, which uh, was highly looked down upon. He was the son of a carpenter. They knew that. But he had no background, yet he had this incredible knowledge and insight to the things of God and to the Word of God. And so we're told in verse 2 that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Which means that Nicodemus wanted to keep this encounter with Jesus as private as possible. Which obviously didn't work well, right? Because it's now in the eternal Word of God. But he wanted other people not to know about his interests. And we might be familiar with this conversation that they've had. We've actually looked at it already in our, our current series. And you've probably read this uh, passage beginning in verse 1 and running through ch uh, verse 21. The conversation focuses on being born again, spiritually. It focuses on placing one's faith in Jesus Christ alone and the reason that God sent Jesus Christ into the world as the Messiah and the Savior. Now, nowhere in this encounter, when, Jesus, or when Nicodemus is face-to-face -face with Jesus and he's meeting with him, nowhere in this encounter is there a confession of faith. Nowhere in this encounter do we come to conclude that Nicodemus trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior as well. But we can know because of Scripture and what we've been given by God that sometime over time, 
Nicodemus did in fact become a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. We find him with Jesus after the crucifixion at, at the tomb. And so though we have intentions as God's people to be used by God so others can meet Jesus through us and to be saved, the reality is this. It may take more than one encounter. It may take more than one conversation. It's probably going to take more than one prayer. Nicodemus had a, at, at least a period of three years where he could think over this conversation and kind of watch Jesus and hear about Jesus and learn about Jesus before he finally decided he was going to, in fact, follow him. But a simple lesson we can get in meeting Jesus, in order for people to meet Jesus, they need to hear about Jesus. What drew Nicodemus to Jesus? Well, first thing we're told is that Nicodemus heard about him. He heard about the talk. He heard about the chatter. He heard about the news going around about this guy named Jesus and the things he was doing. The Bible reveals God's plan is for his people to be the medium or means for other people to meet Jesus and become saved. Nicodemus also heard about Jesus' teaching. So when we are introducing people to Jesus, what we do is we use the Scripture. We use what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, and we point to that. This is what I know about God because of God's Word. This is what I know about Jesus because of God's Word. And so we introduce people, allow them to meet them through the truth, because we can come up with all these incredible debates and these credible stories and these credible illustrations, but the reality is there's only power in the Word of God. The Spirit uses His Word to convict hearts of people, so we introduce people to Jesus. We allow them to hear Jesus coming out of our mouth, us talking about him, and then we point to Jesus through the word and says, look, this is what the Bible says about him. This is what drew Nicodemus to Jesus. He heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus' teaching, but he also, if you look there in chapter 3, he also heard about Jesus' miracles and his healings. He heard about what Jesus was doing, even if he didn't agree with the people that Jesus was hanging out with. And this is the easiest step for us in allowing people to meet Jesus. We point to him, we talk to him, and then we speak about the greatest miracle that ever happened. God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins and rose again. And he healed us of our sinful nature and our condemnation and our judgment upon us, the wrath of God that's upon us. He healed us from that so that we could be completely forgiven. See, there wasn't one thing that drew Nicodemus to Jesus. There was multiple platforms that God uses, just as the same thing God is doing today. He's using multiple platforms so people might meet Jesus through you. But in order for people to meet Jesus, here's the thing. Here's the catch. They have to hear about Jesus. If people are going to meet Jesus, they have to hear about Jesus. And guess how God wants them to hear about Jesus? From you. Not just Pastor Mike, not just the elders, not just the youth pastor, not just anybody else who may be on staff or come up here on the stage. God wants to use you so people can hear about Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in, him in whom they have never heard? There are many of us who can relate to Nicodemus in this passage. What drew you to Jesus initially? You ever thought about that? What drew you to Jesus initially? For some of us, we were blessed to grow up 
in a Christian home. And so what drew us to Jesus is our parents drug us to Jesus, right? I don't care. You're going to church, right? And our parents made it a priority. They brought us to Jesus. For some of you here, what brought you to Jesus initially is there was a good-looking guy or a good-looking girl at that church that you wanted to get to know. And so they went, I'm going, because I get an hour to an hour and a half, hour long that preacher preaches to sit by that person. But eventually something happened and your ears opened. And you met Jesus. It may have been through student camp. It may have been through like a disciple now. It may have been through a vacation Bible school. Some friend invited you to come to something, and in that, in that moment, you met Jesus. And it may not have been the fact that it was a church thing going on or the fact that there was going to be Jesus preached and the Bible preached, but what drew you was there was going to be activities. We were going to drench, get to drench a teacher in water, and she could do nothing about it because she was supposed to love us like Jesus did. Right? And so you were drawn initially because some event or some activity, something sounded fun, but the reality is God used that platform, whatever that was, to draw you to himself so that you can meet Jesus. And I say this because I don't want you to think that the only way people meet Jesus is if they come to church. People meet Jesus through us, through the people that God has created us to be, and he uses multiple platforms so that they can meet Jesus through you. And so we do all these crazy activities. We go to camp. We do disciple nows. We have Wednesday night lives. We feed people for free. We pick them up in the van. We spend money upon money because we want people to meet Jesus, and money's not the problem. God will provide. And so we will be faithful. God can use several means in order for people to meet Jesus. But the primary means he wants to use is his people. What Nicodemus would need to understand in meeting Jesus is why he came. And Jesus tried to get him to understand that in this conversation. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. To meet Jesus means you come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is the epitome of God's love for you. When you meet Jesus, that means you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You therefore become a child of God. And I know there are many people here who have already met Jesus. You've already began a relationship with God. You've, you've already accepted him as your Lord and Savior. But why is it so important for those who are here who have not to understand God's love for you and what God gave? The Bible tells us that God loves the world, and the reason God loves the world is because God created the world. God created everything into existence. Now, we can debate about how things came into existence, and, and over how many years that happened, fine, but that's not the important thing. God created it all, period. And God created every single individual, no matter race, no matter skin color, no matter hair type, in his image and likeness. Every individual is created in the image and likeness of God. Democrats and Republicans image and likeness of God. The problem is, is that every individual has been corrupted by sin. And so that's why people make decisions that hurt others. That's why people try to cover truth. It's because we have a sinful nature. We want to remain in the darkness. But God knows that about us, and God loves us despite that. 
The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Pastor Mike is a sinner. I was born in sin. And the Bible says that the wages or the cost of my sin is death. That word death in Romans 6.23 means eternal separation from the God of life. The God who created life. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Pastor Mike, though born in sin, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I met him, God changed my identity from a sinner to a saint and no longer sees me in my sin, but in the full righteousness of Christ. That's what it means to meet Jesus. My identity completely changes. And because God loved, God gave his son. The word gave in John 3.16 means God gifted or God handed over. What it says is God so loved a world in sin, but he loved them so much he did not want them to die in that sin and therefore be separated from him forever. So God gave Jesus. He handed him over. He handed his only son over to a sinful world. And so if you're here and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, understand this. God did not bring you here for that girl or guy. God did not bring you here for the music or even the pastor. God brought you here so that you would meet Jesus Christ and therefore be saved. That is the only reason we exist as a church. And if we lose that focus, then we're no longer a church. Our purpose is so that people would meet Jesus and that we are continually pointing to Jesus. Your parents drug you here. God gave them the power to drag you so you would meet Jesus. That's why you're here. He died for your sins. He rose again so that you could be forgiven. And here in a few moments, we're going to give a time invitation to when I'm going to stand right here. And if you know you've yet to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to come down this aisle and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. We'll pray together, we'll celebrate together, and I guarantee you there will not be a person in this room who won't be celebrating with you. Because they want you to meet Jesus. Now, if you met Jesus, Jesus is, meeting Jesus is awesome, right? Best thing ever. I mean, because once you meet Jesus, you know what he did, and you accept that, you understand, I don't deserve that. That's why it's grace. That's why we sing it's amazing grace. It means we become a child of God. We're saved. We're forgiven past, present, and future. We're given eternal life, all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And I said that God can use multiple means. I met Jesus after watching E.T. I've shared this before. When I was a little kid, the scariest movie I ever watched, and I remember it was like a week or two before I accepted Christ, the scariest movie was E.T. You know E.T., the Elliot, the, yeah, okay. Some of y'all are looking at me like, I know we have different generations in here, but. So y'all remember the scene in E.T. when Elliot is looking out in the shed, and there's like a, some reason the shed is really lit up, but there's a lot of fog, and he's walking out to the shed. I remember as a child watching that movie with my eyes, or my hands over my eyes, and doing that peeking thing. My wife uses a pillow, but she always peeks over. And it, she always looks at the wrong time. It's, it's great. But I remember watching that scene. I knew what was out there. I'd seen E.T. jump out of the bush. And, and So I knew he was there. 
But I didn't know what he was going to do to Elliot. And that was the scariest scene I had ever seen in a movie. That actually gave me nightmares. Well, I remember it was a couple weeks later, there was a revival at the church my dad was a pastor at. And a revival is when we have church service every night during the week, if you don't know what a revival is. And so I was at the revival. My dad wasn't preaching. It was one of his uh, old seminary friends, and he was preaching. And he brought up the reality of hell. Hell is real. Not everybody goes to heaven. Hell is real. And it's a place where you will be tormented for eternity until God does away with hell forever. And when he described hell and the reason people go to hell because of sin, I knew that was a lot scarier than Elliot and E.T. And so I didn't understand everything, but I knew I did not want to go there. And so I walked down the aisle and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's where it began. But here's the thing, that's not the end goal. The end goal is not for us to just meet Jesus and be in relationship with Jesus. We also must mature in our relationship with God. This is what the Bible defines as being a Christian, or what the Bible defined earlier as being a disciple of Christ. And to know how this works, I want us to take a look at the life of Peter. Peter was originally a fisherman. He was a brother of a man named Andrew. They both lived in a city called Capernaum. Peter appears to live with his mother-in-law, so I'm sure that was a good time. Um, one day, Peter's brother, Andrew, meets Jesus. And Andrew automatically knows, after meeting Jesus and spending a little time with Jesus, that he wants his brother Peter to also meet Jesus. And so Andrew comes and introduces Peter to Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus says, Peter, I want you to follow me. And Peter ends up following Jesus for a course of three years in which he matures in his understanding of Christ. And it comes into the book of Acts. He matures to the point he becomes the first leader of the first Christian church. Not the pope, the pastor of the first Christian church. He began leading that. But it all began with him meeting Jesus. But here's the thing. Meeting Jesus does not mean you have it all figured out. And it does not mean you did it right all of the time. Just look at the life of Peter after he met Jesus. He says the wrong things numerous times. He does some pretty dumb stuff. He would go as far as to deny he was even associated with Christ after spending three years with him. Yet through all of his time with Jesus and hearing the teachings of Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit, he becomes the leader of the church. He would be commissioned by God to write two letters in the New Testament known as First and Second Peter. It lets us know this. Maturing in our relationship with God does not happen overnight. It does not. Maturing our relationship with God is the ongoing process of a believer. It's called discipleship. It's being disciplined. It's learning. It's growing. This is done at church. It's done in small groups. It's done in Bible studies. It's done through conferences. It's done through listening to Christian podcasts and reading Christian, good biblical Christian authors. We are blessed in a country where we have multiple resources at our fingertips in which we can mature and grow in our relationship with God. And until we arrive at our eternal home, we are to be continually maturing in that relationship. This means as a believer, we need to go to church. Do you have to go to church to be saved? No, but the Bible says you need to be with the fellowship. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. 
We need to be with the gathering of believers. We need to be reading our Bible. We need to be having our own Bible study time. We need to be engaged in small groups. You need to be engaged with other believers in small groups where you actually can talk about things that God is teaching you and sharing with you and questions that you have. You have to sharpen one another in the faith. You have to be engaged with other people because we need to be maturing. The danger I see in a lot of Christians is they're just as mature today as the day they came to Christ. That means I came to Christ when I was about five or six. I'm 42 today. There's a problem if I'm just as mature as a five- or six-year-old as a 42-year-old man who has children of his own. There's a problem with that. And we need to see there's a problem with that as believers. I should not be the same spiritual age I was when I came to Christ. I shouldn't even be the same spiritual age I was last year or even last week. I should be continually growing in my relationship with God. Paul rebuked the Corinthian believers because this is exactly what they were doing. They were not growing. They were not maturing. We are called to dive deep into the depths of God. It's not so we can build up more Bible knowledge. It's not so we can win Pastor Mike's Bible uh, trivia nights. It's not for that reason at all. The reason we mature is so we can minister for the kingdom of God. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We're given a disciple named Philip. Philip only shows up in the Gospels a handful of times, though he was an apostle, one of the original followers of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Acts chapter 8, he is fully unleashed to minister. We might be tempted to think ministry takes place within the walls of the church, but tell that to VBS Day yesterday. Tons of ministry happened at the park down the street. We might even think ministry only happens when it's associated with the church. The ministry of the kingdom of God is not regulated or restrained to an address. In Acts chapter 8, persecution has begun to emerge through that man by the name of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. We'll look at him in a second. And persecution comes so heavy upon the Christian community in Jerusalem that many of the believers begin to spread. They begin to leave Jerusalem and go to other parts of the world where they can be safe. That's fine. We saw in the last couple of weeks Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 that we are to flee persecution. So we can continue to do the ministry. We can continue to carry on the gospel message. And even though I'm sure this persecution and, and, and the suffering was scary, if we were in the midst of it, I'm sure many of us would be scared to death. We'd be fearful. We have the questions of why and what's going to happen next. All of it was used for God's will. See, at this point in Acts chapter 8, the Christian community was heavily resting only in Jerusalem. But Jesus Christ commanded the gospel to be taken to the ends of the earth. And so persecution actually came to unleash the gospel into the known world. And Philip just happens to be one of the individuals who flees Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, we're told that Philip is on his way to the city of Samaria. Now, Samaritans were not Jewish individuals. That means they were outside the covenant of God established in the Old Testament. They were not from the line of Abraham. And so Samaritans did not get the gospel initially. Only one other time before Acts chapter 8 is the gospel taken to a non-Jewish individual, and that is through the life of Peter. 
So Philip has just experienced persecution firsthand. He flees to a town of Samaria who considered outcast and lower than dogs. But he goes there to these people who have yet to meet Christ to do what? Introduce him. So even though his world was in turmoil, even though things were falling apart, he didn't allow that to stop him to continue the mission. He didn't go to Samaria to hide. He went to Samaria to proclaim. These people needed to know Jesus Christ. And so he pointed to them. He gave them that opportunity. And he saw success in Samaria. But here's the thing. God wasn't done. Just as maturing never ends, as long as we're in this body, the ministry of the kingdom will never end. And God desires to continually use us every single day, every single ministry. Later in the book of Acts, if you jump down to verse 26, God comes to Philip and says, Philip, I need you to leave this place. I need you to move on. And so Philip begins working his way to Gaza, where God tells him to go. Now, Gaza was a Philistine territory. In the Old Testament, we're told that the Philistines were some of the most hostile people to God's people. And yet that is where God tells Philip to go. Go to where the most hostility has been to my name and to my people. And so Philip is following God's guidance, and as he's heading to Gaza, he eavesdrops on an Ethiopian in his chariot that is leaving Jerusalem, heading back to his hometown. So Philip is walking behind this chariot. He hears an Ethiopian in verse 30 who's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And I don't recommend using eavesdropping as a way to present Jesus Christ to people because they might think it's kind of rude that you engage yourself or just throw yourself in their conversation. But again, we see God can use any platform. And so Philip engages with this Ethiopian who's reading the Word of God, asks him, would you like for me to explain the Scriptures to you? And the Ethiopian's like, yes, please. And what does Philip do? He takes from the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament book, and he says, look, this is all about, guess who? Jesus. He takes what is going on in the situation, and he uses that to point to Jesus. Now, how could he do this? Well, one, he had the Holy Spirit. And if you're a child of God, guess what you have? Holy Spirit. Two, he was maturing in his relationship with God through God's Word and through the teachings of Christ. And so this is why we mature. It's not for more knowledge. It's instead to be equipped to minister and introduce people to Jesus. First Peter, we're commanded, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Ministry for the kingdom of God is taking what we have come to learn from God's word, and then we teach it and share it with others. You're not here to hear a message or to hear God's word for your own benefit, though it does benefit you personally. You're here so that you can take God's word and take it to the places that God has planted you. And it may be a Gaza. It may be where people are hostile to God. It may be a Samaritan where people have never even heard of God. But God has planted you in that place so you can proclaim what God is teaching you in this moment. And if nothing else, you've learned that God loves you and he loves all people. And so you go out in his name 
is not just being in a certain situation or a certain setting. It's taking everyday interactions and using them to point to Jesus. And here's the pushback I always get when it comes to ministry. Pastor, first, it's usually this. I'll pray about that, right? Next time someone says they're going to pray about something, I'm going to say, well, let's do it right now. Let's pray about it together. The other pushback I get is, well, I don't think I know enough. Which means what? I haven't been maturing. So you're admitting you're not doing something you should have been doing. Okay. I found one of the greatest ways to mature is to get engaged in ministry. So, well, I, I just don't know. I, here's one I guess has some back. I just don't like kids. Because usually that's what ministry is in church a lot of times. It's with students. It's with kids. It's in the nursery. I don't, I don't know if I'm old enough. Here's the thing. Yesterday we had vacation Bible school day. And, as, and I, I kind of got to float around, take pictures, and, and, and help out wherever I was needed to help just to be there to serve. My daughter, Abby, 11 years old, was used yesterday by God to minister to kids. And when we got in the car, and I said, you know you were a part of ministry today? Really? She didn't know she was doing it. But she was helping kids, some just a year or two younger than her, some several years younger, helping them to be able to be pointed to Jesus. Abby, do you know what Christology is? Do you know what eschatology is? When I say pre, mid, or post-tribulation, do you, can you come up and teach us about that? Don't let Satan stop you from being used for something greater than you. We throw out all these excuses, and I believe we throw out these excuses because we don't believe in the power of God that resides inside of us. You've been given the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, for everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's his work. Now, here in church, we have different ways to be ministered, though ministry doesn't just happen here. We have nursery, right? Children's church. We have student ministry. Be in ministry. Be on mission. And a lot of people say, well, how is being in nursery, being in ministry, or being on mission for the kingdom of God? How, how is that? Because a lot of times we think nursery is like, you know, church babysitting, Right? But when you are in the nursery, when you volunteer your one Sunday a month to be in the nursery, what you're doing is you are ministering to a family. You're allowing a couple or maybe even an individual who has a young child to be in here and have the Word of God poured into them while you take care of their child in a safe environment. So when they take their child back home, you know what they can do as the parent? They can pour into their child God's Word. They can lead their child in godly ways. Same with children's church. I promise you, you're not going to get questions about eschatology or Christology or pre, post, mid, tribulation in children's church. You may get a question, can I go to the bathroom? You may get a question like, when are we done? 
What are we talking about? But those kids are back there, and it just gives you the opportunity to love on them and to pour into their lives so their parents can be in here growing in their relationship with God, and they can go home, and they can pour into each other. If you have parents in children's church, one way you can help mature them and mature yourself is have those conversations at, at the dinner table. Hey, what would you talk about in children's church? Allow your kid to, to think over it one more time and talk about it outside the walls of the church. Come to student ministry. I know Jason's the primary teacher at times, but a lot of teaching in student ministry actually doesn't happen from the front. My time in student ministry, a lot of the teaching, a lot of the developing, the maturing, and people understanding God's love for them actually happens when they're gathering or afterwards. It's when the, the students know that it's just not about throwing God's word at them, but they're actually important. We actually care that they're here. We actually are glad they're here. We want to support them. Jason mentioned a couple weeks ago that the percentage is just crazy of high schoolers. When they graduate high school, they're also graduating the church. But there's another statistic out there that counters that. And it says if there is an adult outside of the youth pastor and outside of that student's parent that is also loving on them and pouring God's word into them and being involved in their life, that percentage drops dramatically. Because they know it's not just their parents making them do it, and it's not just the youth pastor that has to do it, that there's actually people, real people, that are struggling that actually care for them and love them. Philip spent time with Jesus. He received the Holy Spirit. He was aware of God's word, which we all are called to be, and we all have the spirit. We've been with Jesus. What made Philip ready to be on mission and to minister was that he was a willing vessel. I've said it before, I'll say again, God is not calling you to be everywhere, but if you're here and this is where God wants you, he wants you to be somewhere. And it's about having a willing heart and a willing vessel. And this brings us to the ultimate goal, and that is to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to jump to Acts chapter 16. From the dawn of creation, God has commanded multiplication according to our kind. Creation, God did it for the sake of reproduction, but in Christianity, the principle is the same. We are to multiply our relationship with God into others so that they can have a relationship with God, so that they can meet Jesus. And the key way that God wants to do this is through discipleship and evangelism. We see this heavily in the life of Paul. Paul follows our heartbeat. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He matured in his relationship with God by meeting with other disciples after he met Jesus. And then he got on mission and ministry almost immediately after. And through his ministry, he began to multiply into new believers and into disciples. And one individual Paul does this with is in the life of Timothy, which we're introduced first in Acts chapter 16. Paul arrives in Derby and Leicester, where he meets this young believer named Timothy. Paul immediately is drawn to Timothy and sees the potential in his life to do great things for the kingdom of God. So over the course of a few years, Paul invites Timothy to come along with him, that he's going to pour into his life, he's going to pour into the knowledge and his maturing into Timothy's life, so that he can eventually unleash Timothy into the world for the sake of the gospel. And Paul does this. Throughout his ministry, Paul says, okay, Timothy, I'm going to send you to this place because I can't physically go there right now, whether he was in prison or he was involved in some other thing going on. He eventually sends Timothy to Ephesus where he becomes the pastor of that church 
And we have First and Second Timothy in the New Testament. That's when Paul's writing in Timothy. He's the pastor of this church that's having a lot of issues. But Paul has instructed him and brought him up in the Word of God. See, Paul understood this. He understood that he could not preach and teach everywhere in the world at the same time. I cannot preach and teach everywhere in this building at the same time. That's why we have youth in here on Wednesday nights. That's why I'm back there. That's why we have other adults pouring into children's lives. Because I can't do it all, and I'm not called to do it all. Praise Jesus. But Paul understood that. He understood that if this is going to be successful, he's got to pour into other people's lives so they can do the work that he is also doing so we can continue to spread and we can multiply. Here's a reality for many of us. We are not going to be here in 50 years. 50 years, some of us are going to be in our eternal home. Because this isn't our home, right? And so what we do now is we disciple and we train others so that they can take on the role of leading the church when we no longer can. And we're not training them to be the church of tomorrow. If they're a believer and they're here, they're the church of today. We're training them to be a leader in that church that is to come. But we will no longer be involved in it because we'll be with Jesus. The other reality is sometimes leaders in ministry get burned out. Sometimes they need a break. Sometimes they feel led to take on a different ministry. So while we lead or while we're involved in a ministry, we're to be training up the next generation of believer to take our spot if God calls us to move on. And so we're multiplying. Because the ministry, the mission doesn't end with Pastor Mike and it doesn't end with Jason or our elders. It continues. Until Jesus Christ comes home, we are to be about this heartbeat. And so we multiply and we disciple so others become confident to be used by God to lead others to meet Jesus, and it just keeps going. So it brings us to a question as a believer. How healthy are you as a believer? Are you maturing in your relationship with God as a believer? Are you ministering? As a believer, are you on mission for the kingdom of God as a believer? If you're not ministering or on mission and you've been maturing, here's what you've been doing. Christian buffet. You just did, did a whole bunch of Christian calories and building it up and building it up. And you haven't been letting it go. And pouring out in other people. Are you multiplying? I heard a quote this last week from Thomas Rayner. If you don't know who Thomas Rayner is, he's basically a Christian statistician. Um, he did a study, and what he, the study looked at was the impact that the COVID lockdown had on the Church of America. And what that study found is that 30% of churchgoers never returned to church after the lockdown ended. 30%. Just think 30%. Simple math, 100 people, that's 30 people not attending church anymore after COVID, after the lockdown. And I think that only happens is we're not practicing a healthy spiritual heart. Back to the question, are you maturing? Are you ministering? Are you on mission? Are you multiplying? 
If the answer is I don't know, or I'm not sure, or maybe even a strong no, then I just have to be frank with you. You do not have a spiritually healthy heart. You're not doing what the Bible has called you to do as God's child. And so I want to call you to get plugged into a Bible study and get plugged into a small group. If you need to find a small group, find me. I'll point you. Or find Mike Marler's down here in front. Or find Charlie's back in the back. We will get you plugged in. One way you can start preparing, and, and I just want to begin preparing and praying, is for Wednesday Night Live. It's going to start September 9th. If you've been maturing, then maybe you need to be praying, God, how do you want me to be used in that ministry? Where do you want me to be pouring into other people's lives? Maybe you need to be maturing, you just need to be there in the Bible study and be praying, God, give me a heart that makes that a priority. We're going to have a, minute, a meeting on August 22nd by Wednesday Night Live if you want to know where can I get plugged in to actually be ministering, being on mission. Pray about being there. As God's people, we're called to be engaged in the process of discipleship and ministry and mission for the sake of multiplication. Go there, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Disciples making disciples. That's the call. That's the command. But I said that we're going to come to a time of invitation here in a little bit, and we're here now. And so if you're here this morning, and when we were talking about John 3.16 and God's love for you and sin separating you from God, and you know you don't have a relationship with God through Christ alone, then I really want you to dial in in this moment. Bible says that if you are not saved through the blood of Christ, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, if you have not placed your faith in that alone for your salvation, you are lost. And I know that's hard to hear. I know we don't want to have that sort of talk and this idea of everyone's accepted type of society and world that we're building, but that's not God's world. God says, look, there's, there's only one or two options in the end. And if you're here and you know you don't have a relationship with God, then the Bible makes it so easy. It's first you admit to God, God, I am a sinner, and I'm still in my sin. And then you tell God, God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, and he did, and he rose again, and I believe that to be true. And the Bible says when we believe it in our heart, we are called to confess it with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And so this is time invitation. If you're here and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, this is why you are actually here. You may have thought it was for some other reason when you came to church this morning, but this is actually it right here. And I'm going to be standing down here, and you just come down and say, Pastor Mike or Mike, or if you can't remember that much, just say, hey, you, I want to be saved. And we'll pray, we'll celebrate, because there's nothing better. But maybe you're here and you've been a child of God for a while, but you know you haven't been spiritually healthy. Now, I know 2019 shook a lot of us. Maybe just come kneel before the Father and say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He already knows. That's the beauty of his mercy and his grace. Nick and Bridget are going to come up and lead us in a song. Again, it's time of invitation. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come down. But before they sing, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I ask your spirit just to do the work that only it can do. I know it's not by me or my words. It's by your spirit alone. Lord, if someone here needs to accept you, that they would be drawn to you by the power of your spirit, by the conviction you've laid upon their heart already, and they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. 
Lord, forgive us as your people as we have allowed certain things to distract us and we've prioritized things that shouldn't be priorities in our life. Lord, I know even in my own life there's been times I've just been not doing what I'm supposed to do. I have not been pursuing after you the way I should pursue after you. Lord, I thank for your grace and mercy. You already knew that about me when you called me to yourself. Lord, be with us individually. Be with us as a church. And let us be the church you need us to be in this community and in this world. Ask your will and your kingdom be done in this time. We praise all in the name of Jesus.